Well, some folks may be wondering, you know, what's with all the stacked rock imagery? This has been sitting up here and, you know, we don't do anything with it. This has to do with our Joshua story when they cross the river. It's just they take so doggone long to cross the river that we keep not getting to it. And I'm just going to be honest, we're not getting to it today either. Um, It's just part of the story, like that frustration of like, When are you guys going to move into the promised land? Like that's built into the story. We're supposed to be asking that. So, you know, just keep staring at it, wondering what it is. Um, I come to you also a little frustrated for other reasons to do with this passage this morning. Uh, We're in Joshua. This is our third week uh, in the book of Joshua. And we're in Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua chapter 2 is a beloved story of the church. Uh, after I tell it, you'll be like, oh, I think I've, I've heard that before. It's often told in children's church, despite the fact that the main character is a prostitute, which always creates a lot of fun in children's church. Um, but I got a big stack of books to help me, you know, preach the adult version. And, and about a third of those books t- took up the question of the faith of the main character. And and what I read in those books, I found really frustrating. So here's the summary of the story, the background. The people of Israel, they were for about a thousand years of, of the Bible times, wandering nomads. They were animal herders. But all during that thousand years, they had this promise that God was someday going to give them a land of their own a promised land to settle in, what is now called modern-day Israel. And, but they wandered around not receiving that land for a long time. In fact, they ended up slaves in Egypt. But under the leadership of Moses, they escaped from slavery in Egypt, in part because of a parted sea that they moved through, which we all just sang about. And then they finally get to the River Jordan to cross over and for the first time now enter this promised land. And that's where Moses dies. And so then Joshua, who uh, this book is named after, becomes the new leader. And so they're going to enter the promised land. And here comes chapter two. Joshua says, there's a pretty big city right across this river. Why don't we send a couple of spies to go check that out and see, you know, is it well armed? Are they, are they, do they know we're coming? This sort of thing. So they tend to send two spies into Jericho is the name of the city. And the two spies enter the home of a prostitute named Rahab. And immediately, like soldiers figure out that that's where they are. And so she hides them from the soldiers, sends the soldiers off in another direction. And then she says, when your army comes and takes the city of Jericho, will you spare me and my family. And they say, we will. And then she lowers them out of her window. Her apartment is smashed right up against the outer walls of Jericho. Um, and they lower, she lowers them out and they hide a little bit. And then they go back to the camp and say, yeah, the, we can take this city. And that's the story. So about a third of that, those books in that big stack by those Bible scholars took up the faith of Rahab. And they said, Rahab's not a real follower of God. She's not a real follower of God because although she says in this passage, your God, the God of the Israelites, is the supreme God over heaven and earth, she never really renounced all her other gods. So they're saying she's not a real follower of God. She's actually just mixing all these gods together. Now, I'll confess that it doesn't say that she renounced her other gods and started following Israel's God, but it also doesn't say that she mixed them all together. I'm not sure why they felt the need to write that. 
And then it also says she's not a real follower of God because it doesn't ever say that she became Jewish. Like she sat down and, and did all the stuff from Deuteronomy one does to become Jewish. And I'll agree, it doesn't tell that story, but it also, it never says that she didn't. And, and you know, there's no passage here that says, and Rahab remained a Canaanite pagan until the day she died. So, so I'm frustrated because to me, this just feels an awful lot like what I think a lot of folks experience who try to follow Jesus in the church in, in our time. I, and it bothers me. There's big sections of the church, and, and I was, you know, I, I was around these folks in the past, not here, but who don't care whether someone comes to follow Jesus or not. They just don't think it's that important. They hardly think that God cares. I, I mean, I've been in the rooms where someone says, hey, uh, these, these teenagers decided they wanted to become Christian this weekend. And all the grown-ups just kind of go, like, so, big deal, who cares? It's really, really sad. Um, then there are also wings of the church who, even if one of those teenagers did become Christian, they'd be like, well, then why are they still wearing that T-shirt? And why are they still talking like that? Why are they still listening to that music? And, you know, and they didn't specifically go through our, our membership class. You know, and so they would never celebrate with them because you know, they didn't do it right. And I just wonder how anybody can become Christian when you've got parts of the church that don't care whether you do or not, and then parts that would never count you because you know, you don't, you're not doing it the right way. And I, I felt like that's what I was getting off these Bible folks talking about Rahab. Now, the great part is that we do have the Bible. And, and this is a, a cool thing about the Bible, is the Bible has this rule that we modern people cannot add new words to this that aren't already here. And we modern people cannot take out words from this that are in here. So we're all just kind of stuck with what this says and we work with what this says. And that makes a nice anchor for us. Because the anchor that this creates will not let us wander over here and say, Ah, it doesn't matter if somebody becomes Christian or not. We all just come to church because that's where our friends go. Like you can't get the Bible to stretch that far. And you also can't get it to stretch all the way over here where, you know, our church made up a bunch of cool membership rules. And if you don't follow that, then you're not a real Christian. And it won't let us stretch it all the way over here. In fact, if your church's rules are crossing out people in the Bible that are considered heroes of the faith, like maybe there's something wrong with your church. But anyways, um, and so I thought rather than having so much focus on all the things Rahab didn't do and all the things Rahab didn't say, why don't we today just read what the Bible says she did do and what the Bible says she did say and what the Bible says about her and her faith and her relationship with God and, and you know, just go with that. Seems pretty good to me. So we'll start in, in uh, Joshua chapter 2 verse 1. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. So this, this is a funny story you'll love. Um, maybe. <laughs> this was in my daughter's children's Bible when she was four years old. And I read this story to her and y'all know what's about to happen. I get about that far into it. And she says, Daddy, what's a prostitute? I'm like, honey, you didn't know what an acacia grove was either. Like, why did you have to, why are you asking me? 
Have you ever noticed that a four-year-old can pick up on the one word in a conversation that you kind of wish would, they would not pick up on? But she zeroed in on that thing like a heat-seeking missile. And, um, and if you try to read the Bible with your children, the prostitute word comes up an awful lot. So I had this momentary flash. I believe it was a gift from God. I'm going to share it with all of you who have small children so that you can uh, wiggle out of this one as well. So she said, Daddy, what's a prostitute? And I sat there like, oh. And then I said, a prostitute is someone that you pay to act like they're married to you, but they're not. And she said, okay. And we went on. I thought, I thought that was a pretty good four-year-old appropriate answer. It's, you know, it's not graphic. It gets to the point of things. All right. And so there we go. From me to you. Um, free with one sermon. So, but then someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So these guys are caught right away. Instantly, people know they're in town and where they are. So... People in Jericho were probably watching for the Israelites. The Israelites, people know they're coming. Some people might even know, like they think they have this promise to receive our land from us because they used to live here a long time ago, briefly with Abraham. And so um, they're watching. Also, when the people of Israel left Egypt on their way here, two different tribes of Amorites thought that they would uh, waylay them on the road and try to rob them. And the Israelites, in the process of defending themselves from the Amorite robbers, ended up wiping out both tribes completely, plus their kings. So the people in the Canaanite know, Canaan know that, like, okay, the Israelites are coming on their, on their way here, and they're, they're pretty tough. So they're probably watching. They're probably watching the outer wall, because that's where invaders are going to show up first. And they're probably watching places like inns and taverns and brothels and apartments where prostitutes live because that's often where strangers come and do spy stuff. And so they show up at her door and they knock on her door. They say, hey, we heard a couple of Israelites are in here. Verse four, Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. Now, I got a couple questions here. Why is she sticking her neck out for these two strangers? Like, why is she lying? She could get killed for protecting these people. I mean, this was her chance to go, they're upstairs hiding underneath the flax. But she doesn't. She says like, oh, they went. If you go real fast, you can catch up. So that's the first question. Why does she stick her neck out for them? Which will be answered here in a moment by the text itself. The other question is, why did the spy, why, why did the soldiers just take her word for it? Was she, did they, did they trust her? Or was she really convincing with her like, oh, if you hurry, you'll catch them routine. I don't know. I have this one guess, and this is, this is just a guess. But it says that she was drying flax on the roof. So flax is kind of this grass kind of plant that they made linen cloth out of. And to prepare it, they soaked it in stagnant water. Because of the acids and the bacteria and everything that makes stagnant water stink, um, also, I think, softens, but certainly prepares the grass to be made into cloth. And so she had done this and now was drying it on a roof because it's flat and it's hot. And they may not have wanted to come in just because it stank so bad. 
which means, though, had they gone up onto the roof and been willing to, switch, to sift through slimy, putrid-smelling piles of wet grass and the sweltering heat, they would have found two Israelite spies hiding under it, which I don't have a sermon point to make from that other than gross. Um, <laughs> and so that's where those guys were laying. Well, they move on. Um, so, so verse 7, so the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gates of Jericho were shut. Before the spy, spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. We know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And here is where you've got to start loving Rahab. You've got to start loving Rahab. The first thing she says is, I know the Lord has given you this city. She believes the promise of God and it's going to be fulfilled. The Israelites don't even know this. This is the second time they sent spies to be like, okay, well, let's just make sure it's okay. I'm not really sure we can do this. And Rahab's the one saying, I know the Lord's given you this city. She also says, uh, uh, we, we've heard that you crossed through a parted sea to come here. That story by Rahab's time, is that's a 40-year-old story. And she still remembers it. She may not have even been alive when it happened, but she still remembers it, and she still sees it as a sign that God is with these people. The people who did it had trouble remembering that. I mean, it wasn't a week or a month or two until they, that that happened to them, that they were at the base of a mountain worshiping a golden calf because they thought God was taking too long to rescue them. But Rahab remembers it 40 years later and sees it as a sign that God is with them. And that golden calf is another reason you gotta love Rahab. Because you know who's supposed to worship the golden calf? Rahab, she's a Canaanite. Baal, that God, that golden calf represents, that's the God of her city. And yet she's the one who's saying, your God is the supreme God of heaven above and earth below. It's the Israelites who are always tempted to worship the wrong God. Rahab's got it right. You gotta love Rahab. And then she makes this deal. She says, just promise that when you come to this city, you will spare my father and mother and brothers and sisters. It doesn't list children. So she's a single gal and she's a prostitute and she doesn't have kids, but she wants to look out for her mom and her dad and her brothers and sisters. I get the feeling Rahab's not having a great life. She lives in this apartment that's pressed against the outer walls of the city. That's the most dangerous apartment to live in. If invaders climb up the wall and come in the window to invade the city, they're coming like through your living room. Her property value is probably very, very low. And she's a prostitute. So that's, you know, what she's trying to do to put food on the table. And she's making cloth up on the roof also. I don't know if that's to wear or to sell or a little bit of both. But, you know, it's on her roof that the stinky piles get dried out. 
And yet, in this story, she's stepping into something. I mean, this is the type of person history should totally have forgotten. And here we all are talking about her. And she's in children's Bibles. So she makes this deal. When you come to this city, would you spare my mother and father and brothers and sisters? And the Israelites say, we will, on three conditions. One, don't betray us. Don't tell people we were here and don't tell people that we're coming. Two, you got to get your whole family into this apartment. And three, hang that red rope in the window so we can tell our armies when you come to the house with the red rope hanging in the window, that's the people who helped us. Don't go in there. Which reminds me so much of the Passover when they left Egypt. When God was going to bring judgment on Egypt for their cruel enslavement of, of the Israelites, he said, I'm going to send the destroying angel throughout Egypt to slay all the firstborn. But you Israelites, stay inside your homes. Put the blood of a lamb on your doorpost and your doorframe. When the angel comes, it will pass over that house. And that's when you celebrate the Passover. Well, now God's judgment is coming upon Canaan for uh, their sins of idol worship and ritual prostitution and child sacrifice and a whole page of other things just as bad. But he says, hang a red rope in the window and when the army of judgment comes, it will pass over that house. And so she says she'll make that deal. And then she lowers them out the window, which lets them outside the city. They hide in the hills for a few days. Then they go back to their camp. And verse 24, the Lord has given us this whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. And that's the story. That's how the story goes. Joshua chapter 2. So let's talk about Rahab and what is her relationship to God? What has happened here today in her heart and her faith and her soul? Um, well, I could do a bunch of guesses, but why don't we just read what the Bible says? So we'll go to Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. We're just three chapters, uh, four chapters later. It says, uh, so Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. So not only was she spared, but she ended up kind of joining in with the tribe and living with them, um, her and her whole family, and she's still living with them at the time that this story is written down. We can continue on in the Bible to the New Testament. We'll go to the first chapter of the New Testament, um, Matthew chapter 1, and we find this. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. Rahab has just found her way into the family tree of King David, Israel's greatest king. But not just that, she's in the family tree of Jesus. Because this chapter I'm reading you is the Christmas story. This is how the Christmas story begins in Matthew. They did not put women in genealogies back then, unless they were extraordinary. And the, uh, the genealogy of Jesus swerves around and picks up the names of five extraordinary women before it ends. And one of them that makes the list is Rahab. If we go a little deeper into the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's this big list uh, that the writer of Hebrews gives us of, of people of faith that we ought to, you know, 
use as models for our own faith. And in verse 31, it says, It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She's a model of faith in Hebrews. And we're not done yet because James, the brother of Jesus, um, in chapter 2, verse 25 says, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them, uh, when she hid those messengers, yeah, and sent them safely away by a different road. So, you know, Rahab probably didn't know a lot about the God of the Bible at that time of the story. And she probably didn't know, you probably shouldn't mix all your gods together, but she knew enough. She knew enough to know this God is the supreme God. In a time when people thought there was gods of this city and gods of that country, she said, your God, this God is supreme over all of the heavens above and the earth below. And she knew that she should make some sort of sacrifice, that she should take some risks, that she should bank her life on this God. And she took some chances. And she joined the tribe that followed this God. And she married in to the tribe that followed this God. And she ended up being the great, great, great grandmother of kings and eventually the Messiah Jesus himself. And she's listed as a model of faith in the New Testament. And children study her story and we're studying her story. And if all of that is not enough for some Bible scholars who wrote some books, I don't know what to say. I'm not going to stand up here and say that someone's not a real follower of God after the scriptures just got done saying that they were. She was right with God. I believe these people know better than me what it means to follow our God. It's not that complicated. Our church, Lakeland Community Church, should be for Rahab. It should be for people just like Rahab. Our church should be for outsiders, people who didn't grow up around all this and don't know all the drill and, and you know, say some of the wrong things and do some of the wrong things. Our church should be for them in a place where they can become followers of Jesus and that is celebrated. And there is assistance offered to do that better and better every day. Our church should be for outsiders. Our church should also be for insiders, a certain kind of insider. So if you're someone who's like, well, I, I grew up knowing the drill. I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But I always wished that my church, you know, was more welcoming to my friends who are maybe a little more like Rahab and that they could have come and heard about Jesus. If, if that's who you are, then, then this is your church because that's what we're trying to build. That's what we're trying to build all together. It's just not that complicated. You've got to start somewhere. A faith journey has to start somewhere. And it starts with knowing just enough to know this God seems special. This God seems supreme. This God seems like someone I want to put my hands, my life into the hands of. This God seems like someone I want to take some risks for. And, and that is an awesome beginning to a journey. We should honor and we should celebrate that. Um, but when someone, you know, becomes a follower of Jesus and they get baptized, they don't, they don't pop up out of the baptismal waters, you know, able to recite all the scriptures. And, you know, that's not how that goes. I heard a pastor say this last year. I'm just going to copy his portion of the sermon because he said it so well. He said, the disciples 
were in a small group with Jesus for three years. Jesus was their small group leader for three years, just the 12 of them wandering around, and they met every day. And after three years, they got put to the test, and they all ran away and hid and claimed they didn't even know who Jesus was. So these guys were a hot mess after hanging out with Jesus for three years. Now, they eventually got it figured out and became the leaders of the church. But he said, evidently, even if Jesus is your small group leader and you meet every day, after three years, you still don't really have it down very well. And he said, in our church, it's probably going to take even a little longer. Because as awesome as our small group leaders are, they're probably not as good as Jesus. And a lot of our small groups just meet once a week, not every day for seven days a week. And so here, it'll probably take even a little longer. We're not here to judge people's spiritual journey. That, that, that becoming a disciple, that's what we're supposed to do together as a church. We're, we're not called to go and make converts and then decide whether they did it right or not. We're called to go and make disciples. So we should create a pathway that helps people become all these things. That helps them know you shouldn't probably mix all your gods together and, and such like that. We should have a growth path here that does that. That's what we're called to do. So, you know, we should have something where you could go out this very service if you wanted to and say, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Here's Discover Faith. And it gives folks just a week's worth of, of things that will help them grow closer to God. And then after that comes, you know, Discover Lakeland. A month, a month to get strong in the church because being, being part of a church community is going to help you grow more than anything. So in that first month, let's have everybody get really strong in the church and learn, you know, just a month or a couple of months worth of things to help them grow in Christ. And then Discover Growth. We can all do that together. A year of growing together and learning spiritual practices and, and who our God is. And then Discover Scripture. Let's learn this story and what's in here so we don't uh, make it, harder than what this meant for it to be. And, and let's have that path so that folks can grow in Christ. God is always making a way. You know, God is always making a way. In Egypt, he said, put some lamb's blood on a door frame and judgment will pass you by. Hang a red rope in a window and judgment will pass you by. And now we have Christ Jesus on the cross. And he says, follow my son. And judgment will pass you by. They say that you can find uh, Jesus in every Bible story if you look. So I went looking in Joshua chapter 2 for Jesus. And sure enough, there he was in the middle of chapter 2. Right after she says, promise me that you'll spare my family when you take this city. In verse 14, the spies say, we offer our lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. That's Jesus. Jesus says, I'll give my life as a guarantee of your safety. And if you don't betray me, I'll remember you and keep my promise to you and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the kingdom of God. There he was. It's not that complicated. We're all Rahab. We're all Rahab. And the city's full of other Rahabs looking for this supreme God over all the heavens and all the earth to give us a new life. And what we should be doing in our church is making a big table that all the Rahabs can come sit at. Amen. <laughs>